Today is the day we come to the last two verses in the book of James. I mean, that's actually should be national news over the Packers playing the Bears at 7.20 tonight <laughs> that you all know. And so anyways, we're getting, so grab your Bibles, flip open to that. We'll get to the verses in a couple minutes. But today we're coming to the end. And I got to tell you, unlike maybe you, I'm so sad when I come to the end of a Bible study um, of a book. Because I've, this has really just been my, my view, and I know it's not real trendy to say this, um, but I think it's the best. Um, I think God knew what he was doing when he inspired the Bible. Yeah? Just maybe he knew what he was doing when he inspired the Bible. And I don't have to try to get real cute with God's word. I just need to help all of us understand what it means. And if I had to define what I think a pastor, teacher's gifting is supposed to be, is this. I get the privilege of spending usually, you know, eight or ten hours in this or a couple, two verses. And say, I say this every week, God, what do you want to say to this congregation that's going to be here? What do you have to say to us through these words? And my job is to, is to chew on that and condense it down to 30 or 40 minutes and figure out what's God trying to say to us. And so this book of James, so, so I just love doing just books and just letting the, the Bible speak to us. And so uh, I hope the Lord's been speaking loud and clear to us as we've been going through the book of James. I hope you've been open to the activity of the Holy Spirit as we've been walking through this, this book and inviting the Holy Spirit to shape us and reshape us into the likeness of Jesus. I hope you've been doing that and you do that today because this book, is, a lot of people don't want to touch the book of James because James is us, he comes out swinging. He's just punching people all the time with what he says. And, um, but we've tried to look at that in a, very, in a very kind way and I think a very spirit-led way and say, what's God challenging us to do? Um, I also hope something else has happened as we've gone through the book of James. I hope that your heart has been open to just to, to reshaping your, your belief about this book itself. Because throughout church history, a lot of people have given the book of James a lot of bad, a lot of bad reviews. You know, we looked way back the very first week, we looked at the, the reformer Martin Luther, who said he, he didn't want it in the Bible. He called it a very straw gospel. He said, you know, it shouldn't even be in there. Um, because they looked at it as graceless and harsh. Well, as we've been going through it, I hope what you've seen is it's just the opposite of graceless. It is filled with the love and grace of God um, from a guy who's a pastor saying, I love people so much, I want to help them get better. Um, you know, so I hope that as we've gone through this, that we've been, that we've been seeing something about James. That beneath him saying some really hard-hitting things sometimes, we have been seeing the true heart of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this. And the reason I want us to think about, have we been seeing the true heart of James today, is because in these final two verses that we come to, I think maybe as clear as anywhere else in the whole book, it reveals the heart of love that James has for people. And I'm going to say this, the pastor's heart that James has for the people that he's writing to, which includes us. And that's why I want to focus on this idea today of heart. Matter of fact, we've got something here to remind us. Heart. We want to think about this as the underlying idea of what we go through for this day. Now, I say heart. I'm not talking about that muscle in your chest that is pumping blood right now, which I'm awful glad it's doing that. But by heart and James, I mean heart in the sense of passion and compassion that move us to action. 
That's what heart really is. Heart is passion. Heart is compassion. Feelings that drive me to do something about something. And I want us to think about today in the idea of heart is kind of three different separate things. I want us to to talk about these. We're going to talk about James's heart. And then I want to talk about God's heart. But then I want us to think about our hearts. And I think that's really how James would love us to end this book. So grab your Bible. Let's look at James chapter 5, the last two verses. It says, my brethren. So he's writing to who here? Christian people. He's writing to you and me. My brethren. He's not writing to lost people. He's writing to the church. If anyone among you, so of people who are part of the church family, he's writing about. He's writing to church people about church people. My brethren, if any, any, any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now what I hope you see here is you see James's heart revealed. That the final words that he writes about is basically this about rescuing Christian brothers and sisters who have strayed from the truth. And as a leader of the church, James, had, and he's a leader of the Jerusalem church, he had seen it all too often. We don't have to even say, give me illustrations. We know it because it's just the way it is. Someone hears about Jesus and says they trust in him as Savior and Lord. They walk, they walk in Christ for a while. You see transformation. You see their lives, old habits and, and sins falling away. Their life getting better. They build a new community of people. And they get plugged into a, into a local church. He's writing to local churches here. They get plugged into local churches. But then something happens. For some reason, they begin to drift. Maybe it's little by little, or maybe they just disappear one day. But all of a sudden, they're gone. They walk away. And often, if you know them in any personal relationship, what happens, they often walk right back into the old life of sin and heartache that they were involved in before that God delivered them from when he came into his family. And James has seen this many, many too many times, so his heart compels him to challenge the Christians he is writing to, to go after. That's what he says, go after those who have strayed. To try to turn them back, bring them back home. And my friends, understand something. This is all about heart. And I want you to notice something, something that we might not like. This is why James, people don't like James a lot of times. He says things in ways or to us in ways that we go, well, I don't, that's not fair. I want you to notice something here. Notice where the attention is focused in how James is expressing his heart here about going after people who have drifted away. He puts the focus upon those who have not strayed away. And James' desire is to get them to, he says, go after those who have strayed. He is focusing on the hearts of those who haven't strayed and challenging them to be moved with compassion into action to do something for those who had strayed. And so notice he puts his focus there, but notice where he does not put his focus. He does not put his focus on the responsibility of those who have strayed away. Now, obviously, friends, their straying is their choice. 
They're walking away from the church family or walking away from Jesus altogether is their choice and they're responsible for their choice. But James isn't dealing with that. Oftentimes we'd go, well, they strayed, but that's their decision. Let them go. That's not what James does. As James writes here, his heart of love, he just says, I'm not going to deal with that right now. He is revealing, rather, his heart for those who stray. He's revealing that he's compelled to do something to go after those who have walked away. And I think this, his mind, like your mind, probably says, well, guess what? That's their own choice. They chose to do that. They were welcome. We did everything we could to to welcome them, to make them feel comfortable. We did everything. It's their choice. I think his mind says that, and our mind says that a lot. But his heart says, try again. His heart says, listen, church, go after them one more time. Now, that brings a question to my mind. Why should James care? Why should he care? Since some people, he's doing his best, the people who are leading the other church are doing their best. Why should he care since, since some people chose to walk away on their, by their own free will? Why should James care? Here's the answer. Because his heart is a reflection of the heart of God. His heart is a reflection of the heart of God. Think of this with me for this moment, this, this morning. What is the heart? So this, this feeling, these passions and compassions that move someone to action, what is the heart of God towards all people, including someone who strayed away? What's his heart? Well, Scripture is pretty clear over and over. Let's just look at some of the things. Let's, I won't answer it. Let's let God answer it through his inspired word. Maybe the most famous verse of all the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says this. But God proved his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So for any of us who believe that God loves you because you do good, he loves you more when you do better, Romans 5.8 says, no, he died for you when you were still a sinner. Still completely bound in sin and not walking with him at all. What's his, what's his heart towards people, all people? He loves us so much he sent his son, even while we we're still sinners. How about Romans 8.32? 8, 8, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also, along with him, freely give us all things? Won't he, should not also, won't he give us all things he's saying? How about Matthew 18, 12 and 13, where it says this, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. What do we see from Scripture? God's heart compels him to go after people who are lost. He came after you. He came after me. 
That's the heart of God. There's a song that we sing around, around here, and I was going to have it, I was going to have actually watch a video of it and have it play, and actually it's queued up to go, but we're not going to do that today. But I can just describe it to you. It's a song that we sing all the time. It's a song called Reckless Love. You familiar with the song? My favorite part of the whole thing. And if you don't know scriptures at all, it doesn't make sense to you. Because if you're just listening to it, if you didn't know anything about Jesus, you'd say, and he leaves the 99. And you go, what's that all about? It's what I just read in Matthew. He leaves the 99. He says, you know what? I love you. I love you, gang. That's what he says. I love you, gang. But one of my sheep is straight away. And I, we need to go find it. You know what I love about that song? Is I think it so clearly conveys to us the feeling of the heart of God towards us. That he loves us. He has reckless love. It says he, he, he kicks down walls and, and, he, and, he tear, and he climbs up mountains. He'll do anything to find us. That's the heart of God. He leaves the 99 to go after the one stray. And friends, that's the heart that is the reflection of God that we see in James. When he writes, my brethren. If any among you, it doesn't say if the best, the brightest, the ones you enjoy, the ones you like, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. His heart is concerned for others. And friends, let me tell you something. Because life's a lot, of, a lot of life while going forward, talking about the track, what we learned about in that video is a lot of what life is, if you want to go forward, is, is self-evaluation. Figuring out where am I really at. You know what? There's a way to see the truth about your heart. And this is one of the ways. Does it care for other people? Does it care? Does my heart care for other people? We see in James it does. James's heart compels him to turn a sinner from the error of his ways and save that person's soul from death. Look at it. He looks at a person who's a believer and he says they're a sinner and they're lost, as lost as they were before. They need to be rescued from death. The heart of James is focused on rescuing others because the heart of God is focused on rescuing others. That makes sense? Now that brings us from James's heart to God's heart, to our heart. And the question I'd like us to ask ourselves is this. Does my heart, does your heart, reflect the heart of God? And I think there's a way we can answer that question in light of what James is saying in these verses. So let me just say this. I think Portview is awesome. But in Portview, guess what? We live in a real world. We have a wonderful church filled with wonderful people. As a matter of fact, it is just, it is peaceful at Portview. Maybe that should be our, our name, Port, Peaceful Portview. It's peaceful. It's a peaceful place with wonderful people who love each other, that get along, that help each other, who do crazy things like go on the Tough Mudder together that a bunch of you are sore in here today that can't move because you ran a crazy five-mile obstacle course together yesterday. Amen, Harold? We're a great church. He couldn't have enough energy to say amen. <laughs> amen. All that means you won't have a lot of energy to root for the bears tonight either. Amen. No. Oh, no. 
So we are blessed. And we are really blessed as a church when people come to know Jesus as Savior. I don't know about you, but water baptism services are one of my most favorite things I'm ever part of. And our church, we love them. We're so blessed to know when people come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord in our church family, through our church family. We go, we were part of something eternal in people's lives. And we are so happy when our church is expanded. When new people join with us to worship the Lord and to, and to grow in Christ-likeness and to accomplish the mission of God as we all do it together, we're so happy about those things. But sometimes something else happens around here and everywhere. It happened for James 2,000 years ago. Sometimes people just disappear. They just disappear. They're here with us. They're part of the happy family. And then all of a sudden they're gone. Now, some move out of the area, and some move on to other places, but some simply drift away from the family of God. They often drift back into their old life of, 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 of pain and hurt and sin, and often don't get connected with another church family. It's not that they're just saying, well, I like this church better than that church. They just kind of drift away. And here's my question to help us evaluate our hearts. My question is for me. My question is for us. Do you ever notice when someone disappears? Are you engaged enough in the body of Christ, in the family of God? Is this important enough to us that you notice when someone disappears? Are you other-focused enough to notice when someone is missing from the family of God? Think about that. Because it helps us evaluate the condition of our heart. Now there's another question that would follow up with that. Is this. Which of these two responses would you most likely have if you noticed someone was missing? Response number one. Hey, Pastor Mark, what happened to the Smiths? Haven't seen them in a while. Number one. Or response number two, you know, I haven't seen the Smiths in a while. I'm wondering what's going on with them. I think I'm going to give them a call or invite them over for lunch or have them, have them get together for, you know, coffee somewhere. Which one? First of all, I'd say this. They both show a degree of other focusedness, which is a really good thing. That's great. But I want to point something out from our text that James says that should help us with these questions on which one is really best. Look at back at James chapter 5 again. I'm going to point something out that maybe you overlooked. Because I don't know if I noticed it before. And I've read it, James is one of my favorite books, I've read it a hundred times at least. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back... Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I want to get a little grammatically, grammatical, is that the word grammatical with you today and point something out. And I had to ask Mitch if my, if my, if my grammar was right about this. And it was. Notice the two pronouns. And I'll point them out in case you say, I don't remember what a pronoun is. 
the two pronouns that are used to describe the one who goes after the one who strayed. Notice that the two pronouns, I'll point them out, that are talking about how you go after the one who strays are both singular pronouns. So here they are. It says, my brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, so the one turns him back, verse 20, let him know that he, singular pronoun, who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Both are singular. And I think this is really important for us to to key in on, to notice. Because it shows something. It shows that individuals reached individuals. Individuals, I'll explain in a minute, but individuals reach individuals. So in our context, Bob went after Jim and Sue went after Jane. Individuals reaching individuals. Individual people moved by hearts of love to go after individuals who had drifted away. This is why this is so important. And I've been dealing with this for, for years and years, and some of you are going to go, yeah, Pastor Mark, your responses to that are why I don't ask you questions sometimes about this. You'll see what I'm saying. Sometimes we get this idea that the activity of the church, where the Smiths go, is the church's job. Everybody just say church. Do a little air quotes, come on. You can do that. Churches. Can you do that? Oh, come on. Well, come on. You can. Churches, thank you. Church's job. That we say that the church should do that. Friends, let me explain something about the church. So you understand this biblically. You are the church. We are the church. There is no church outside of a bunch of individuals gathering together. Well, people usually mean when they say the church, they mean the pastor should do that. That's not the church. I have a role in the church. But if I've, got to do the, if I've got to try to do everything in the church, the church will never accomplish what it's supposed to do. James didn't say, he didn't write, because remember, he's writing to other churches. He didn't say, and my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one of the pastors would get off his butt and go after them, he'll save them. It's not what he says at all. He says, listen, if one of you turns them, and we have this idea, this nebulous thing called the church, the church should do that. There is no church outside us as individuals gathering together as individuals to make a corporateness called the church. And I believe this is what James is trying to get us to understand here. With his final words, he focuses on what he thinks is his parting words, the most important thing to him. People rescuing people from spiritual death. And he's letting us know that it's something that we are all to be involved in, that individuals go after individuals. Now, that does not mean that he's excluding groups or families, connect groups. No, that's not what he's saying. Rather, it means it's not something that can be assumed will be done by this nebulous thing called the church. You are the spirit-empowered church. I am, we are the spirit-empowered church. Now, there's an old saying that is really appropriate here. Some of you have heard of this. One of my favorite sayings. Everybody's job is nobody's job. Everybody's job is nobody's job. 
In other words, if we just assume someone else will do it, actually no one else will do it. So if we have this idea of the church should do it, that's an assumption that somebody's going to do it. James is trying to say no. He's saying, it rests squarely in my heart. It's about me. And the it here, it rests squarely in my heart, is really important. Because it's the souls of people. He's talking about people. He's not talking about attendance. He's talking about people. I want us to do something this morning. We'll take 60 seconds to do it. I want to do something. I'm going to ask, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to our minds someone who has disappeared. Now, maybe there's someone who's disappeared in their walk with Jesus in your family. Meaning, you still know where they are, but they, they're just not walking with Jesus anymore. Or at least it does not appear they are. And you know, it's never my job to figure out if somebody's a believer or not a believer. But I can see if somebody's not living well and right. And it can, be, and it can, be, it can concern me. And I can try to get them back in because every believer was designed by God to be part of a local church family. And just look at Scripture. That is simply what it is. God's plan is for every person to be part of a local church family. Otherwise, it makes no sense to talk about giving gifts. God gives gifts to people to, to bring fullness to the body. You're not using your gifts. God would say that it's, then it's pointless to be an individual because you're not adding something to the corporateness of the kingdom of God's um, impact on the world. So maybe it's someone from your family, or maybe it's someone who used to sit near you in church. Somebody who, who you know, whatever happened to the Smiths? Whatever happened to the Joneses? Whatever happened to that, to, that, to that guy over there, you know? Did you even take time to learn his name? But you know who he is. Maybe you know his name. I hope you know his name. Whatever happened. We're going to do something right now. It's going to seem like an eternity, but I'm going to take 60 seconds. I'm going to ask the Lord to do something. Heavenly Father, I ask right now for you to speak to our hearts and bring a face or a name to us right now of someone who's drifted away. Did you think of someone? Did a face come to your mind? Did a name that all of a sudden you go, yeah, I haven't seen that person in a long time. If a name or a face came to your mind, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write it down. Pen's in front of you. You probably got a bulletin. Scrap in your Bible. Write it down. Write it in the palm of your hand if you need to. Write it down. And how about this? How about this? You, you say, in alignment with, with what James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to us, church people, reaching church people, that you make a deal between you and God right now. And I don't know the details of it, and you don't need to know the details, but you say this, God, I am willing to do something this week to contact that person. Help me understand what it is. God, I'll do something this week to reach out to that person. And I'd say this. You be the one. You be the one. If anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, be the one. Friends, here's the reality. This world is a tragedy. It is a mess. We can, we can kind of hide from that sometimes because we live in a really nice community with really nice people and we're really good at hiding some of, our, some of the details that are painful. We also have resources which allow us to distract ourselves 
reason, that's one of, the, one of the great joys and also curses of resources. They allow you to distract yourself from ever having to really think and, and live in your pain. But here's the reality. We still live in a community with a lot of broken people. And this world can be a really tough place to live. It's why the promise of eternity and a new heaven and new earth is such a beautiful picture and such a wonderful promise. But we live in a broken world and sometimes people just give up. They're not rotten, they're not terrible, they're not rebellious. Sometimes they're rebellious. But a lot of times they just give up. They just stop trying to move in the right direction because they're worn out. You know what I've seen in my life? I think James has seen it. Oftentimes a devil will stir up people who don't know Jesus to reach out to them and incorporate them. And they they just get tired of of trying to say, I want to live right, but my life is a mess. This world's a mess. And they just get tired. You and I can be the ones to go after those that are broken and have drifted. And we can be, friends, the extension of of God's heart to them. That's what James is trying to get us to understand. Now, ultimately, we know this. They have to decide what they're going to do. It's their choice. Their responsibility rests on their heart, on their their back, and it has nothing to do with you if they say yes or say no. It's not. It's their choice. But James puts the responsibility here on those of us who are, are here. You know what? He could write a whole sermon about those who have drifted away and say it's their fault, but guess what? He's not right now. He's dealing with us. But friends, let's, let, let's not let anyone ever drift from our church family without doing what we can to try to bring them back into the family. You know what? Maybe you're here today and you've been drifting. We want to help you. We want you to know this, that we want you to be part of our church family. We love you. Are we perfect? We're we're far from perfect. Just like you are imperfect, every one of us is imperfect. Just that you have good days and bad days, and you have energy sometimes to help, and sometimes you don't. That's all of us. But we're a really good family. And maybe you just need to know you're loved. You're loved here today. You really are. I want us to close in. Heavenly Father, your heart is for all of us, including those who have strayed. Lord, you don't get into this text, you don't get into the theology behind all of it and where they're at and are they right with you and can you have your salvation and lose it. That's not what you're dealing with at all. You just say they were once part of the family and they drifted away and you call them sinners. You say their soul's in danger of death and and you're compelling the church to have hearts that reflect your heart so that you will use us to go after them, the one. Not this idea of the church, but the idea of part of people in the church reaching out to other people who have drifted away. And Lord, this is what I know. You know who's straying. You know who's strayed. And I really ask God, we took a few seconds already, but I really pray this. Over the next days, you would bring to our minds people who would stray. 
give us hearts for those people. And at least we would say, Lord, yes, my mind says they've walked away, but my heart says I'll try it again. And we'd reach out to those people. Friends, as we're in prayer this morning, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and you've strayed from Jesus. And you know this. You're tired and you want to come home. This is what I know when you come home to Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's only loving acceptance. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, I want to, I want to come home to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, but maybe you've drifted and you want to come back. You say, I'm, I'm serious. I want to... I want to come back to Jesus. I've drifted away. Here's what I want you to do. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. A private moment. The only one looking around is me and Jesus. If that's you, you say, I'm ready to come back to Jesus. I want you to do something this morning. I want to call you on. I won't embarrass you. I just want to, I just want you to take a step of faith. You say, Yes, I want to come back to Jesus. I'll come to Jesus. Just raise up your hand. When I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it down, okay? You can put that down, okay? You can put your hands down, okay? Hands all over, sir. Okay. Am I right over this line in the back? Yes. Anybody else? Number of hands saying, I want to come back to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Church, this is what we're going to do this morning. I want us all to pray a prayer. Those of you who said yes to Jesus this morning, I want you just to pray along. I want you to, from the depth of your heart, I want you to mean that what you're, what you're saying. And, and just what, all we're going to do is we're going to turn our lives over to Jesus. We're going to say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to invite the whole church family so you don't have to be embarrassed. We'll all pray together. But I, I encourage you to pray with us. Let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. I'm tired. And I'm wore out. And I need you to come into my life. So today, I welcome you in. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to walk with you. So from this day forward, I ask you to help me. I ask you to hold me. I ask you to heal me. And so Jesus, today, I ask you to be the Savior Give me of all the junk. Wipe it away. I want to be brand new. And now, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, meaning the one who I follow. And starting today,